Blog Talk Radio.
right, welcome to another edition of the Urban Wire brought to you by the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers where we shine the light on issues impacting the urban community. Um, tonight we have a lot to talk about. We're just going to do a basic show. Um, you know, we haven't been off for a couple weeks. We're going to be talking about um, a lot of current events that are going on um, in the news, in the media, and um, pretty much in entertainment. Um, the song that you just heard was um, the newest from Sierra, My Body, uh, Body Party. And speaking of Sierra, she has recently been in the news. And what was so funny is, well, not funny. I guess it would be funny to her, but it didn't seem to faze her. Is She was recently performing on stage for the Gay Pride Festival in L.A. And what was so funny is, like, while she was performing on stage, she got served papers. She got served papers while she was on stage performing because you know apparently she was supposed to perform at another venue, and she didn't. So she had a lawsuit pending. So she's facing some legal um, issues with that. We're gonna get to that in a little bit, and um, just just you know a little. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I'm telling you, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything tonight. We're going to talk about um, a couple of videos that are on YouTube that are viral right now. And we're going to just talk about how people just are so thirsty for attention. Like, on, like seriously, like, why do people do do the things that they do on, you know, on YouTube? Like, it's just like, I don't know. But we're going to go to the line. Uh, we have, um, I believe, Miss C online. Uh, we're going to go unmute um, this line. C, is this you? Yes. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Now, I know you're ready to do just, we got some stuff to talk about tonight. So what, what do you mm-hmm. think about that whole Sierra thing? Like, how, I mean, can you just imagine you somebody performing on stage and then they get handed some papers out of the audience, <laughs> like, concerned? What kind of mess is that? That is crazy. I honestly cannot imagine that happening. Um, my thing is, is that with her being a performer, um, she should know the various aspects of contract law. You have a contract that comes out, and these people are wanting you to do something for them. You signed that binding contract that says that you are going to be obligated on that day for that event. Um, I guess apparently she probably felt like because she was a celebrity that she was exempt for any type of consequences that may come her way and and I guess she just felt like you know she just didn't care about it you know she was right. just trying to pick and choose you can't pick and choose when you don't sign your name to a contract you can't do that so um, I would say this it serves her right to be served on stage point blank <laughs> but you know what maybe that, maybe that should really serve as a lesson to a lot of these celebrities that just think they above the you know, just above the law, not just above the law, but just they don't have to, they feel they can do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. And 
And the girls were like saying, no, no, no. The queens were like, no, you are going to get served today, and we're going to serve you some papers. You were mm-hmm. talking about my body. I said, well, your body better be in court where they <laughs> serve you those papers. I'm That's just right. That's right. All right. All right. We got another call going on. We're going to go to the um, line of 765-265. Um, I believe this looks like Kane's number. Is this Kane? Are you just Paul? Are you just listening, or are you um, you have a comment, or you have a uh, something that you would like to talk about tonight? Or are you just listening at this point? Okay, I believe they're just listening. Actually, no, it's me. It's Michael. Okay, okay, this is this is your cell phone number. I'm like, I'm not used to seeing. I'm used to seeing the house number. Okay, I'm tripping. <laughs> Did you hear about the story about Sierra uh, getting served papers on stage during a concert in L.A. No. LA Pride? I didn't hear about that until you read, brought it up now, and I'm thinking, wow, I guess they'll go to any length to serve you the papers. That's, <laughs> I guess that's for <laughs> sure. Served. Yeah, served by the team. Well, while we're talking, I got the article pulled up. I think I'm going to go ahead and check on that story because I'm like, wow. Okay, this article comes from and it's entitled Sierra Sued by L.A. Bar Served Papers Doing Prior Performance. Okay, here we go. After canceling a scheduled appearance at a Los Angeles gay bar this weekend and facing threats of lawsuit, Sierra was served papers during her performance at L.A. Pride on Saturday night. The good singer performing on the catwalk when a woman reached out amid fans to hand her the lawsuit during the middle of the song. Sierra reached out for the papers nonchalantly, while continuing to sing and then flung them back. So, okay, we'll get a picture of this. So somebody hands her some papers, mm-hmm. she just flings them back. Like, I wondered if she knew what it was, and she got she got pissed because she she glanced down at some papers, and then she saw that it was a lawsuit, and she thought she found out she was served. So she instead of uh, tripping, she just... She, she was throwing the papers back. I wonder if she knew what she was looking for. But anyway, okay, TMZ published the video of the incident on Sunday morning. The concert interruption came after Sierra, Sierra bailed on West Hollywood's popular club, The Factory. The singer rep said that they informed the club that Sierra couldn't make it, yet the performance was promoted nonetheless. Still, the factory is suing for breach of contract. See, there you go. You had a contract. Sorry. When you sign your, your name on that dotted line, I don't care what you That mm-hmm. becomes your obligation. That's your money. Them, 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 mm-hmm. them your coin. Mm-hmm. You, you, okay. Sierra's people spoke out after the news of the lawsuit, um, after after news of the lawsuit first emerged on Saturday, saying that the singer's appearance at L.A. Pride the next day contractually prevented her from appearing at the factory. 
Well, then again, there you go. That's your problem. That's that's their problem, not 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 the people that you signed the contract with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra's committed commitment to perform at L.A. Gay Pride on a Saturday night prevented her from making a Friday night appearance. Um, a rep for Sierra reported, reportedly told TMZ. Okay, here we go. What does something that happens on Friday dictate? What happens on Saturday? That's two totally different days. Mm-hmm. You know, you overbooked yourself. Then that's your problem. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Quote: Despite being notified early last week that Sierra could not appear, the factory continued to market and promote Sierra's appearance. The reason mm-hmm. for the continued marketing and promotion is unclear, as it is not known why the factory would intend to continue to mislead the public to cause damage to the L.A. Gay Pride Festival and to the attempt to portray Sierra in a negative light. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she'll um, learn not overbooking herself in the future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And sometimes they from Pacinica. Yeah, go ahead. Let me say this. She sort of realized that what that was was a bilateral contract, and it basically states, we, this club, will do this for you if you do this for us. And she put her name on that paper, so she's obligated, point blank. So nine nine times out of ten, when she goes to court, if she shows up, the judge is going to say, I don't care what type of festival you tried to go to, Regardless of that, you put your name on this contract, so all the advertisement, all the everything, you you're gonna to have to reimburse these people. You you will because even if they printed out flyers, they had to pay for signs or whatever, she's gonna to have to reimburse them that point blank. You know, so. Oh well. Mhm. Oh well. I don't know if we'll hear anything else about that, but that's I'm just I just want to read that's that's funny. Like, can you imagine being on stage performing and then like they couldn't even wait till you got off stage. They handed you the paper while you was on stage. Like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, that is crazy. I've never heard mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. But nowadays they, go- they just don't care. Right. All right, we're gonna go to the line. Um, somebody else just joined the conversation. Eight zero three five five three. Are you just listening, or do you have a comment or question? If they're just listening at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean that's 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 a very important thing. Like people, especially in the entertainment industry, people need to learn the importance of contracts, like, because I think I've, I've heard mm-hmm. of so many people that get caught up, and that's how people, you know, ruin their reputation when they don't uphold their end of the mm-hmm. contract. And, like, you know, mm-hmm. I guess she felt that because she's so big, so quote-unquote big in the scene, that she could do whatever mm-hmm. she wants to do, and she didn't mm-hmm. have, you know what I'm saying, she, she doesn't have mm-hmm. any responsibility in upholding 
you know, what uh-huh. she has to do. And, and to me, mm-hmm. quest, what I question is, what kind of people do you have working for you if they can't mm-hmm. even maintain your schedule to where you're overbooking yourself? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that comes from maybe having Pookie or Man Man and them. You, you got some bootleg <laughs> production company mm-hmm. and, and you got, you know, you know, somebody that's crazy. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maintaining, you know, that's just, that's just crazy. That shouldn't even happen. That, that's just mm-hmm. my opinion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. We also have tonight, and I try to upload this, and I, I wanted to get to this because this this just seems like there's a lot of people on YouTube trying to make a name for themselves. And to oh. me, I think that they pretty much do it at their own expense. You know what I'm saying? And they think that people mm-hmm. are laughing with them when they're truly laughing at them. And we're going to get to that a little later in the show because there's this guy on the Internet called Marcel, and he, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be mean, but he looks like the Grimace, like he's shaped like the Grimace, like, you know, that they, they, they character at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, that's what he looked like. And then he gets on, like, he gets on YouTube making these videos Knowing good as well that he he's obese and he's he just like on there making food like like videos about food and like peanut butter jelly sandwiches and you know he's making fun of himself can't get out the car and he's sitting up here shouting on video because he he was hungry and he was making a peanut butter jelly sandwich and I guess that sandwich got so good that he just caught the Holy Spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just think, wow, that's just a shame. Like that, people get that desperate for attention, and that you know they'll just be willing to put themselves out there. I mean, what do you what do you guys feel about that? I seen one of those videos uh, that you're talking about, and I mean personally, I feel sorry for the guy. I really do. I mean. I think, you know, whether it's for attention or whether he thinks he's just being funny, I don't know. But I really feel sorry for the guy. Mm-hmm. Do you feel sorry for him, please? Uh, I'm going to be honest. No, I don't. And, the reason, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sorry, but, hey, I'm very blunt on this. I do not feel sorry oh. for him because of the simple fact that you know, he's not the only person out there that is that size. And true enough, you know, there may be some things that may have gone on in his life, but he's not the only one that may be going through something. But the fact of the matter is that he got that way because he loves to eat. And there are people that basically love to eat like that, and they will get big. But my thing is this, for him to degrade himself like that, he basically has a lack of respect for himself. He just don't care. He's like, I'm this size, I'm this weight, and I just flat out don't care. So I'm going to do what I need to do to keep my mind off the fact that I am this big, so I'm going to exploit myself. And he doesn't realize the damage that he's doing to himself because just like what was said, you know, people are not 
and I think this is what you said to me earlier, Seneca, people are not laughing with him. They're laughing at him. And there is nothing nice, nothing cute about these videos. It's horrible. I think it's absolutely horrible for him shouting over a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that is making a mockery. You No, 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 no. That's, also, that's my thing. I got a problem. That's what I got a problem right here because you're making a mockery out of God and you're making mm-hmm. a mockery out of church. Like, who who does that? Like, seriously, mm-hmm. who, who gets on camera talking about, I just jumped out the shower and I ain't got no, no shirt, no shorts on, and you think... <laughs> And then he come out, I just came down the kitchen. I got hungry. No one now, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, people don't look at you crazy because you talking about you hungry. Mhm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. have to feel sorry for him because he doesn't realize how stupid he's coming across. Right. I think he does. I think he does. I think mm-hmm. he's doing it for attention. I really think he's doing that crazy stuff for attention. Mhm. Mhm. He knows that people are going to be laughing. He feels like if I go out here and I do that, people are going to see me. I am this big. People are going to see me. They like to see. See, what he feels to understand is heavyweight people are already being stereotyped as being nasty and sloppy and stinky and all that mess. They're already being stereotyped like that. He is going out there and making it worse by doing things like that. I don't know how he smells, praise the Lord, because I don't want to know how he smells. But the fact of the matter is this. <laughs> you are you are enhancing that stereotype. Oh. And, I mean, and there are other ways for you to get attention. Write a book. Produce a play. Yeah. Don't get out there and, ooh, Lord. Mm-mm. You, you mean like write a cookbook? Seneca, I would just say in general, write a book. What would it be called? The art of the peanut butter and jelly? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't want none of that peanut butter and jelly. That ain't, that ain't right. So ain't. You got all kind of stuff added up in that peanut butter to make it look that color. No. Mm-mm. Oh, you got all kind of additives and preservatives. Is that what you just said? <laughs> yes, and I think you cleaned that up for me. But, yeah, that's basically what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Mm. You know, I, I think I think he's one of those people that's like he's like a social media whore. I hate saying that. That's, yeah, that's, that's strong, a strong mm-hmm. term to use. But I, that's that's the time I just came up with off the top of my head. He's a social media whore, and they mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is when you look at the definition of a whore, a whore is willing to put mm-hmm. themselves out there for a mm-hmm. game. Like you know, mm-hmm. they mean they're, they're willing to. De- Demean and degrade themselves <clears throat> for mm-hmm. some type of game, and in this mm-hmm. case, he's willing to to sacrifice and put his self dignity and respect out there, and put that on the line and compromise that mm-hmm. just so he can get a couple mm-hmm. laughs from people. Mm-hmm. I seriously doubt he's getting paid off of this. I seriously doubt mm-hmm. that he's really anything out of the out of this, and he's making That's YouTube right. more popular. And he's not getting anything. Mm-hmm. The only thing he's getting mm-hmm. is one of the most dried up, stale 
pieces of bread, a couple pieces of bread and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And obviously, I don't know if y'all listened to the video. I could have swore he was. I think he living at home with his mama because I heard mm-hmm. in the background before somebody said, "Clean that kitchen up." Yeah, you heard that's up. exactly what was said. Mm-hmm. And he, he hurried up and cut that camera off too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm, but but he had this video too on there talking about um, how he how he was in the hospital. I guess he thought that was fun too. He probably had a heart attack or something. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting up in the hospital laughing about it. Mm-hmm. And then he called he up making a video about the Ohana fruit punch. See, that right there shows that he has a problem. You know, because all resorts around food, and the food is the main reason why he ended up in that dang hospital in the first place. You know, and I and I do agree with what and I do agree with what oh, you said, hey, Seneca. He knows he knows what he's doing. You know, you can tell the difference between a person who don't know what they're doing and a person that does. He knows what he's doing. And that's how yeah. the attention, you know, he, he he needs to seek it somewhere else. This is ridiculous. Some Somebody, see, mm-mm. Oof, Lord, he's drawing negative attention to himself. You know, he's not funny. There's nothing about what he does that is funny. Nothing. It's mm-hmm. ignorant. I mean, it is so ignorant because you know what? Now, I'm a heavy set person and I've lost weight, but I'm heavy set, not as big as him, but praise the Lord, I'm not. And just like uh-huh. I said before, <laughs> there's a stereotype out there about heavy set people. And my thing is, is that I carry myself very well. I don't think there's anything funny about me being fat. And I'm just going to put it out there there's nothing funny about me being fat. And there's absolutely nothing, and I will never in my life get in front of any type of camera and talk about I can't get up in a car or praise the Lord for this sandwich. No, I will never do that to myself. <laughs> Jesus, Lord, have mercy. And he's just sitting up in the lab. He said, ooh, I can't get in this car. But, I mean, it's, it's my thing. How are you going to put God into you eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich? Like, who does that? Mm-hmm. People that's crazy, crazy like him. I thought one of the seven deadly sins was what? Oh. And I'll say this, too. I would hate for him to get in that car and can't get out. They have to do the jaws of life to get him out. Oh Lord! I would, I would hate that. <laughs> cause he gonna, cause he gonna stuff himself in the wrong car and not be able to get out. See, that stuff oh. ain't funny. It's, they will literally have to cut oh. him out. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, like. Seriously, like, and I'm not trying to be mean. I ain't trying to be funny, mm-hmm. but I wonder when he get in the car, like, like, I mean, I wonder if the, the no, no, see, y'all, I'm trying to be serious now. Like, when I he get in that car, I wonder, like, do the, do the, I, I mean, I wonder if the suspension on that car is, like, worn out. 
I mean, you know, I, you know, I just I wonder if you know what I'm saying if if that car is worn out, like you know what I'm saying. Mhm. I wonder well, what kind of car. The video that I looked at, it appeared that he was possibly in some type of a sport utility. I was judging from the video that I seen that the scene it did look like he was in a uh, SUV, a sport utility vehicle sometimes. <laughs>
quote-unquote demonic games like Dungeons and Dragons. So we're going to talk about that. Um, it's almost ridiculous. Like, he, he's just a buffoon. He's, he's like a freaking buffoon, if you just put it like that. You're nicer like, than I am. You're nicer than I am. I don't think he deserves the title Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. This was the same man that a couple months ago said on national TV on one of his broadcasts that uh, about men cheating on their wives, well, you know, honey, he said they're men. They have the tendency to wonder like that. And basically was making light of it, saying, oh, well, it happened. Mm. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he has absolutely no respect for women. He has no respect for this. He, he, he's a very, uh, just a very nasty old man. Mm-hmm. He tries to hide behind Christianity, like, or what he, he deems be Christian, and it's just like, you know, I'm just, I don't know, it's crazy. I'll Uh, say this one, he's a rich old man, because you look at him and his, uh, let's call it co-star on there, the lady with the really big hair that's uh, different colors for every scene, and she has the mascara that's not waterproof, and she turns the waterworks (laughs) on, and, you know, you know, praise Jesus and can start crying like a fountain at the drop of a hat. <laughs> she looks like a drag queen. I'm sorry. She looks like a bad drag queen. Oh, you ain't talking. Just like Dan Brown. Now that's that's scary. That's a, that's scary drag queen. I'm telling you. I some note. Some of those. Oof. I mean, some of those fanatics just really scare me. Like, I don't know. I don't want them laying hands on me. I can pray. Yeah. I don't know. But I can pray for myself. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if I've ever seen come on TV on late night, it's always a, a little side humor thing to me to just watch it for the lady with the big hair so I can just see what color her wig is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, we all made fun of Tammy Faye Baker back in the '80s, but she ain't got nothing on. I mean, Tammy Faye ain't got nothing on her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Well, well, I guess while we at this, um, well, we gonna get to David before in a minute. But I guess while we on this, we're going to uh, read this article right here um, about Pat Robertson. And this comes from Huffington Post um, again. And the title is Pat Robertson, Teen Suicide Linked to Demonic Games Like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Pat Robertson, Level 8 Delusionalist, Intelligence 5, Charisma 10, and Wisdom 0. Although he said far more offensive things in the past, the latest allegations made by the television evangelist Pat Robertson have crossed the line into bizarre. During a mental health and suicide segment, wow, 
Out of all people, he wants to talk about that. But anyway, for his show, the 700 Club, Robertson linked fantasy role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, and other demonic, quote, demonic games with teen suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is a quote. Ladies and gentlemen, our children are at risk. They are bulimic, bulimic. There's anorexia. There's all kind of demonic games they play. It used to be Dungeons and Dragons. They've got some new ones now. The pressure on them is just incredible, Robertson said in a segment, which aired Monday. According to the Right Ring Watch, the new segment has focused on a 2009 suicide of Melissa Strange, daughter of a Southern Baptist leader, Frank Page. In an interview with Religion News Service, Page indicated that the prescription drugs in what he described as his daughter's, quote, addictive personality, unquote, played a part in her death. Um, I guess this is a quote from him. I wish that we would be a little more careful in our use of drugs in our prescription drugs. They are powerful forces. And when one already has the previous disposition that she did, it's like throwing a light match, a lighted match on a gasoline-soaked pile of rags just ready to go. Paige did not mention any games, any kind on it. Games of any kind in the version of the interview published by RNS. In a recent 700 Club segment, <clears throat> Robertson also noticed that he thinks noted that he thinks that many teenagers commit suicide through fatal automobile accidents. Quote: I think many of these automobile accidents are actual actually death by cars. Okay, mm. this is. This is far from the first time Robertson's comments have made him appear out of touch. In January, Robertson was shocked to learn that women watch pornography and read erotica such as Fifty Shades of Grey. In September 2012, he advised a 700 club viewer who felt disrespected at home to become a Muslim. So, as Robertson put it, then you could beat your wife. Just mm. mm-hmm. sick. Just sick. Very. <clears throat> and these are the kind of people that want to call themselves Christians and then, you mm-hmm. know, get on TV claiming Christ and you, you saying all this crazy foolishness. You know what I'm mean? saying? Mm-hmm. You make it like a bunch of claims. Mhm. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, like we were just talking, you know, like me and you were talking the other day, too. Like, there's just too much going on in these churches today. Mhm. Mhm. Like you was telling me about that. What's that story you was telling me about? You went out of town. And yes. You went, uh. Yeah, there there was a friend of mine that had invited me out to um, hear her group sing, and the church was based out in Gary, Indiana, and the crazy part is, you know, when the devotion and everything was going on, uh, as the program 
went further, it was time for offering. Now, they had um, an ATM in the church, which I told Seneca that I just did not uh, agree with. But the most scariest part to me was during the offering, they locked the doors. They absolutely locked the doors because they wanted to ensure that people give their offering. And I felt like <clears throat> they were holding people against their will, you know, because there may be some people that need to leave at that time. And I just felt like that was just so wrong. And um, so I got up and I unlocked the door and I left out because you're not going to tell me that I have to sit there. You're not going to tell me what I have to do. So, and I just felt like that that was uncalled for. That was truly uncalled for. And then you say something about how they were so focused on money? Yes. That that was their entire objective was um, what they were going to get. That that was their entire objective, you know, because one of the ushers or whatever was just telling me that, you know, we just want to make sure that people give their offering and, you know, and it's very important that they give their offering and all and all this kind of stuff. And I and just like I was telling Seneca, I really can't even tell him all of the exact, exact words because she wasn't making sense like she was going like she was beating around the bush and she couldn't even tell me you know, what was the purpose of them truly locking those doors? So I'm like... She probably one of them brainwashed Christians, one of them old, mm-hmm. old slavery, old, one of them, oh, Lord, please don't help, help me not to say nothing crazy. But she probably one of them old slaves type, you know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? She, she ain't got no mind of her own. She no. going about what pass or not, not past door. Well, what the pastor said, and he said mm-hmm. the Lord, the Lord, you see, if he said it, it must be right. So mm-hmm. she can't tell you why. She don't even know. She probably can't even tell you where Genesis and Revelations located in the in in the Bible. But she That's knows right. what the pastor said. It. The pastor said it, it must be right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, and it. And it was just horrible, and you know, and the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> is that you have a lot of pastors where their intentions are not to um, lead lead their sheep. Their their intentions are how much money can I get? You know, who's gonna pay for my car? Who's gonna pay? Who's gonna pay for my jet? And uh, and what a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of these churches they have these people in there that's giving, and they don't understand that they are paying the pastor's salary. You know what I mean? Like like they're paying him, you know, and the money may not even be used for what it's intended for. It's going all to that pastor, and it is terrible, you know. But that right there shows that there's a blindfold over these people's eyes, and they truly don't understand. And that's the sad part. And these pastors are going to be held accountable for everything that they do, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think that it's because they hold this title of pastor and therefore they're up there in the front and every Sunday? Do you think it's like you're a visitor in that church you're speaking of? <clears throat> So mm-hmm. you're you're a new person. You're a new face that's come in, and you've mm-hmm. seen this 
point blank, and you're like, oh, my God, are you serious? Tesla, yes, mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Whereas, the, I guess, the regular per- parishioners of the church, they mm-hmm. come in and they've gotten so used to it over time, it's just common thing to them. Do you think that's part right. of it? Yeah. I Well, you know what I'm going to say, this. I truly believe that it is. I really do, you know. But I guess what he failed to realize is that every person that may visit that church may not have a blindfold on like all the other people do. See, right. I I look at it as, you know, anytime you control your congregation like that, that's a cult. And I'm sorry I said it, and that's how I feel. That is a cult. Anytime you, you know, dictate what it is that you want your congregation to do that is contrary to the word of God, point blank. And I mean, and and those people, too, are going to be held accountable, too, because if they don't study that word to show themselves approved, and if they don't study it so that they know what doesn't be the Lord and what they're supposed to be doing and what they're not supposed to be doing, they're going to be held accountable, too. So I really don't feel sorry for those people in that church because they have the word. They have a Bible. And if you don't study it, you're not going to grow in the word. You're not going to grow in the Lord. And you're not going to know when a person is ripping you out of your money. Yeah. So that's just how I feel about it. So, yeah, so what you just said, I truly believe that that is really what was going on. I really do. And I said I will never go back to that church again. And just like I told Senator, because I'm not a highway driver, and I put on my GPS and I folded my behind back here, and I'm like I will never ever go back to that church ever again, <gasps> ever. I don't blame you one bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just crazy where you know they probably more concerned about. Uh, mm-hmm. Sunday at church, then feeding the flock the word of God. Mm-hmm. It, it, That's it, right. So, and, and to me, like you know, I look at a lot of these churches. You know, I'll go to side say the focus is more on money. It's more. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's about what can I do to bring the members here so I can get more money. I, it's not how mm-hmm. it service the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a part of the problem. That's right. That's you right. You know, um, we're gonna mm-hmm. go to the lines. We have another call. I believe it's Jr. Um, Jr. This year. Hey, how's it going, my brother? It's going all right. I said, you know, it wouldn't be a, a, a an episode of the Urban Wire if we don't have you drop in. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I tell you what, I'm just in a fantastic, fantastic mood. <laughs> it, it, you know, they, I, I, I don't know what I've done to deserve all this, what, all these blessings I've been getting, but keep them coming. That's what I say. I'll mm-hmm. take all the ones oh. I get. All right, now. Mm-hmm. So. Do you do you care to elaborate, or you just want people to know that you just been blessed out of faith? That is that what you're saying? What's that? Because you don't. I mean, would you care to elaborate, or do you just want the people to know that you just been blessed? I I, t- I tell you what, man. I, I uh, just had a little bit of a late start on your show today because I I got called in early to work, 
So give, give me a quick briefing on what's all going on. Well, we just really we we just been just talking about time and dance before. We this is just a light little show that we did tonight. We first of all we started out with um, a singer named Pierre. She was served papers on stage doing her performance, and I was like, wow. So I guess she breached the contract. She was supposed to be performing some play, and she felt that she felt that because she felt that she was overbooked, she didn't have to perform at this other venue, and it don't work like that. So we were just talking about that. We've been talking about people on the Internet exploiting themselves, um, and we could talk about uh, the shady church. So that was just to uh, talk about David Starr. Hello? hear me? I think we might have lost. Well, he's still showing on the board, so. But anyway, oh yeah, we just lost. He'll probably call back in. Yeah, like that's churches here in Indiana. What do y'all think about churches having ATMs in them? What What do you feel about that? Hmm. I, I know, like I Yeah, um, I'm with her. I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. I'm. I, I, yeah, I think the minute that you have put an ATM in your church, right there, that tells me exactly what the hell your church is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, the reason Jesus threw the money changers out of the temples in the Bible, well, somebody huh. can put a chain to that and throw it out in the park. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I would literally say what I had to say, and I would get up and leave. 
because that shows that you're not going to be teaching me, truly teaching me what thus said the Lord. Your whole objective is what I can give you. Mm-hmm. So I just leave, too. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first church I've ever walked out of. (laughs) Like I said before, I said some of these churches, you can get more fulfillment out of going to, you get more fulfillment going to church than going to some of these churches. Mm -hmm. I said, because at least when I I leave churches chicken, I'm going to be full. Okay. I'll be more full than leaving some of these churches. Yeah, it's sad, but it's true. Mm -hmm. But you know, but Mm -hmm. all right, Um, Jr. While we have you on the show, can you tell us about? I know um, um, you're excited. Can you tell us about your upcoming show that will be on our network this summer, late summer? Possibly early fall. Hello? You might have lost him again. I think so. Oh, Lord Jesus. We're going to pray. <laughs> going to pray that they connect with the spirit of UCOSW. By <laughs> <laughs> the divine authority of Verizon Incorporated, connect thy service. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Let's let's go to. Uh, I want to get to the the whole Trayvon Martin case and the updates on that. And also, I want to get on. I've been I've been waiting for Jr. to come back on because I want to get his uh, opinion on uh, the David Bissard case. So I know he has a very strong opinion about that. But let's um, mm-hmm. jump to. Here we go again. They are. Are you connected finally? Hello? Hello? Yes. All right, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you tell us about can you tell us about the show that's coming to our network coming to the network um this this late summer or early fall? Can you tell us about that? All right, all right, all right. Uh well the name of the show is three XR. The, yeah, it stands for Race, Religion, and Reality. In the show, we will uh, be tackling, you know, all little taboo topics that people tend to uh, shy up upon, you know, and uh, try to be politically correct about. I am not by any means a politically correct person. But there, well, I will have a fourth R in that, and that's respect. You know, sometimes people will agree with me. Sometimes they'll disagree with me. But we will respect each other's opinions, you know. Uh, You know, we're we're, going to be hitting topics such as life choices, fitness, second chances in life, you know, hate speech, uh, manning up for men to be men and quit being boys, you know, things things like this, you know. And, you know, I noticed y'all were talking about churches here. Ooh, or, as I, or, or as I like to refer to churches, and uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I've been to churches 
where they they sit there and they'll hand you an automatic uh, uh, a, a, a sheet for you to start taking automatically withdrawal from your checking account. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and here here's the thing, you know, it, it's I remember a pastor a long time ago. I used to study under, all right. And uh, the name of the pastor is Pastor Jack Hilliard. He used to be uh, the spiritual leader of the New Testament Baptist Church in Oceanside, California. Since then, they've renamed the church. He's still there, though. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now to save my life. But Pastor Hilliard said one time uh, on the whole topic of tenure that, you know, uh, that, 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 that is what the people can give. There's no set amount. If you if if you can give a dollar or if you can give a thousand dollars, that's fine. You know, it's whatever you can give. You know, and for for these some of these pastors to look at this as a racketeering right, uh, you, know, you know, as a racket rather than you know being the spiritual shepherds that they're supposed to be. You know, my friend, what you your soul is no different than my soul, okay? And we both our souls have the options of going to heaven or hell. If you give a thousand dollars a week or if you give fifty cents a week, it's not going to make a difference whether you go to heaven or hell. What's going to make the difference is where your soul is aligned. You know. And, and, and it's like my pastor always say in my church, he says it's not about equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. That's right. You know what I'm saying? It's not about that, you know, because isn't there a story in the Bible where Jesus praised the woman that gave two mites versus the, the people that right. were giving all that money? Mm-hmm. He gave her two little pennies, and the Lord was pleased with that because that mm-hmm. was all she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, you know, not not to make it into a comedic thing, but uh, you guys remember the Kings of Comedy when Steve oh. Harvey got off there talking about churches having a building fund and how they always took a second collection for a building fund, never, never, nothing as a doorknob got replaced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but yet, but yet, them pastors are always walking around with tailor-made suits and brand new caddies and stuff like that. When their flock is sitting there walking to church in church shoes, you know, they, and they're the only nice shoes that they may have. You know? Oh Lord, <laughs> that's not I have church shoes. I have church shoes. <laughs> And God help, I got the church shoes, Tony. <laughs> but but check this out, man. Hey, you know, and the thing that people fail to realize on these things is anybody can call themselves a pastor. Anybody can call themselves a church. But take for example. More good would come out of a couple of people talking about the Bible when they're pure at heart than they would attending one single service. 
at the Westboro mm-hmm. Baptist Church. Woo, no, you know? Oh, I most you certainly did. Calm you calm down. Then what you doing? I, I tell you what, they, they, them people, they, them fine people at the Westboro Baptist Church, right? They, these people twist and pervert the Word of God to get their message out. To me, there's no difference between them and the Al-Qaeda extremists, you know? There's zero difference. It's the exact same hate monger. The difference between the two is Westboro Baptist Church is not going around bombing themselves, you know? Mm. But yet, I swear there's something to this. There's got to be a special place in hell for these people because they live right in the middle of Tornado Alley and not a single tornado has hit that church. (laughs) Well, I gotta say I agree with him. <laughs> so like I said, my brother, sometimes you'll agree, sometimes you'll disagree. But by God, we'll get our opinions out. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a caller. I think we have a eight zero three five five three caller. Um, do you do you still um do you have anything to say, or are you just listening, or? I know you're kind of shy. I mean, feel free to join the conversation. I just couldn't listen. But nevertheless, we do thank you for listening. Um, there you are. Yes, sir. We're going to get on um, some recent developments um, of the David Lassard case. And, oh. And I know you got some strong opinions about that. Oh, yes, I do. All right. Now, go. Okay. Go, I have a, go uh, ahead, bro. Start her off. Okay. I have a, I have an article um, um, off of WTHR. It is entitled, Attorneys File Motion in the Far Case, Trial Stage in October. And this is written by Jenny Grunevich uh, from the THR. And I'm going to read the article and uh, we're going to get back to the article. All right. Um, this article comes out of Fort Wayne. Suspended IMPD officer David Bassard is fighting to keep evidence out of his trial for a 2010 fatal on-duty crash. Prosecutors want to talk to Bassard's drunken driving arrest. Wants to talk about Bassard's drunken driving arrest in April of this year during the upcoming trial for the 2010 accident. Bassard's case will be moved for move forward in Allen County because of the pretrial publicity in Marion County. Nearly a dozen motions were filed in court Friday between the defense and prosecution. The motions won't be argued until a two-day hearing in July, but we do know that Bassar's trial won't happen until October, despite efforts to move it up. Bassar is accused of drunk driving drunk when his police cruiser crashed into a group of motorcyclists, killing Eric Wells and injuring two others in August of 2010. 
Bessard was arrested again April 27th of this year when he crashed a ball truck in Lawrence. Officers at the scene found a half-empty bottle of vodka and tested the suspended officer's blood alcohol content at .22. At the trial, prosecutors wants to show evidence that Bessard had a dangerous pattern of drinking and driving and that he knew how to cover up alcohol abuse. To do that, they filed a motion to be able to use the SARS April crash in arrest involving drinking and driving as evidence in the upcoming case. Quote, we believe that defense may try to raise the track, the trial of lack of obvious intoxication on the part of the defendant to 2010 arrest. We believe that the facts from the 2013 arrest are strikingly similar, and therefore, if the defense were to raise the issue, we feel that we should have the right to, to rebut if the 2013 arrest, with the 2013 arrest, said Deputy Prosecutor Denise Robinson. Quote, to have that much alcohol in his system that time of the day, when he knew he had to work, there's an, there's an alcohol list says Mary Mills, who was injured in the 2010 crash. Both prosecutors in the defense team filed a litany of motions in court Friday. The defense wants to suppress alcohol evidence from the, the vial of blood drawn from the far after the 2010 crash. An appeals judge already said that the evidence is admissible, but the defense feels differently. Quote, I think that one aspect of the issue was decided by the appeals court, and I'm not going uh, – well, I lost my place. Uh, okay, I'm not going to comment on the evidence. We'll deal with that in the courtroom, said Attorney John Cosman. Quote, if, if I were a defense attorney, I would want to file a motion to suppress blood evidence in the case but we believe that the Court of Appeals is pretty clear in its ruling, Robinson said. What is clear now is that the trial will not start any sooner than October 14th. The defense has filed a motion to move it up, but because of schedules, the attorneys and the judge couldn't find the date that worked. That means the start will, the start will stay in the Marion County Jail for five more five more months. Crash yeah. and the will be waiting, too. It can't get here quick enough. The end can't come quick enough, said Wells' brother Aaron. I know that the community is safe from him, at, at least while he's being detained, and that itself means a lot. The defense also requested Friday that the jury be sequestered during the trial. Cosman said publicity is too great, even if the tr trial is being moved to Fort Wayne. So uh, let's see. Let's get back to the lines. I think we lost the. I think she, she'll call back in though. Um, so Jr., what do you? We we know that you have a very strong opinion about this. What do you feel about about the um, information that was just read? Well, in all honesty, I ended up missing over half of it. I my call dropped about five times. Mm -hmm. Um. It, 
Man, I, it's, uh, because of that, you know, I'll let someone else speak and uh, yeah, try to figure out what was said during that time. Well, well, the gist of the article is they were just saying how um, um, the trial is going to be uh, probably taking place in, uh, no sooner than October 14th. And they were just talking about how uh, that means he's going to be detained, be detained for five, four months. And they were just talking okay. about the victim. The victim's family were happy that he's going to be the same because they feel that, you know, people say, like, won't be able to be out here potentially uh, cause another accident where someone uh, could be killed. So they were just talking yeah. about that, that article, and they were just talking about how, um, you know, the jury and, like, the, how the, the trial, you know, is going to be handled in Fort Wayne and all this stuff and talking about the uh, how they want to sequester the, 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 the jurors and stuff like that because uh, of the publicity of this trial. And they were just talking about uh, what is what they were saying. It's pretty much an, an update to that. And I think we lost JR again. Well, I think that it's absolutely wonderful that they are going to hold him until that trial, and he's off the street. I think that is wonderful. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people, that, you know, that's that's the thing right there because I think a lot of people feel a lot more safe into because this guy is, I mean, it's just not like a one-time thing. This guy has, he, he's a danger to, to individuals on the street, like, he has a true alcohol um, problem. I mean, like it's it's not just. I mean, he's he's really a threat to people on the street. I mean, for him to yep. have that much have reckless and disregard for other people, other human safety. Right. So I'm just like, wow, this is just. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, October is a ways away, so he's going to have Yes, it is. I know one thing. He may have an alcohol problem, but five months in that lockup is going to dry him out real quick. You think he's going to get the shakes? Oh, absolutely. Shoot, he already had the shakes by now. He got that within 24 hours of being locked up. I'd get, if he didn't get it in the first 24, he got it within the first 48. Wow. And I know by the 72-hour mark, he was feeling pretty rough by then. Well, can you explain? I mean, I know you, you know, uh, you dealing, you know, you working, you know, in law enforcement. Like, um, can you explain? The the uh, you know the withdrawal effects of people who well I guess people that are withdrawing like like an actual alcoholic like what do they actually go through during the withdrawal process? Well, true and pro- what we'll call professional alcoholics, they don't ever really. Everybody's familiar with the blow in the tube PBT test called portable breath test. Mm-hmm. And if you blow all zeros, 
<clears throat> that means you have no alcohol in your system. Mm-hmm. The people that are the true, bona fide, dedicated alcoholics, what I'll call professional alcoholics, they never go to completely zero. Oh, wow. They don't. And if they do, it's not for long because they drink so much in such quantities <clears throat> and so often that their body is so accustomed, excuse me, <clears throat> Their body is so accustomed to that state of alcoholism that they don't ever completely dry out. Oh, wow. So when you have someone that is consistently, by legal limit of the numbers, intoxicated all the time, they can be so professional at it that you wouldn't know it that they're intoxicated. They could be one. They could be point one zero and functioning just as normal out there, and you would probably not know it because they are so normally at that level. It wouldn't be until they get into a really heightened state of intoxication for them that you would all of a sudden start to notice. Hmm. Those people that are like that, if you put them in jail and all of a sudden there is no alcohol, and they start coming down. Once their body gets below a certain level, and it's used to having that consistent fix all the time, they go into withdrawal systems called withdrawal symptoms called DTs, which is called delirium tremors or delirious tremors. These now, DTs, can that be deadly? Can that be oh yes, deadly? you can die. You can that type of an alcoholic can actually die from the withdrawal symptoms. Wow. Yes, it had to to professionally drive someone out from that type of intoxication, it takes medical supervision. Hmm. It really does. Well, because it's not, they totally really... Any other type of addict? What was that? So it's almost, it's almost like similar to, or no different than like someone that's like trying to come off of a drug like heroin or something like that. Absolutely. Yes. You know, the alcohol is the same thing. You can die from alcohol withdrawal. They can exhibit these shakes. It starts in usually as the shakes and sweating. Uh, It can, you know, nausea and vomiting and cramping up. Their whole body will cramp up. And then in the extreme case, they'll go into consistent seizure-like activity. And allowed to progress long enough, they can die. Wow. Okay, we have. I think we have Jr. back on again. Um, Jr. Yeah. What do you feel about him being detained for five extra months? Well, you know, yeah, I'm all for it. You know, I, I don't think he needs to be out in the public. You know. Um, this is a guy that obviously the pressures of his job got to him to the point where he was coping with alcohol, you know. Now, you know, as I've always said, God bless our police departments and what's so. Hey, you know, they, 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 the only way I can ever compare to the pressures of a cop is through my military service. But, 
what you know, and as I as I've said in the past, I've made no two bones about my addiction problems in the past. You know, uh, it's how I coped with the pressures of my old job. You know, I would numb myself from the world through cocaine. You know, um, the the detoxing off of it. I, I had. I, I crack a joke every now and then about how bad my habit was because I, I had I had pretty close to a two hundred and fifty dollar a day habit, oh, you know, it, which back then was an eight ball. All right, so I had about an eight ball a day habit, and mm. the joke the joke that I crack is I I, I was one blowjob away from being a crackhead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh, Lord. But 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 here here's the thing, and in all in all honesty and in all seriousness, alcoholics and drug addicts share a lot of things in common when it comes to the detox process. Unfortunately, in my life, my brother wasn't strong enough to overcome his heroin addiction. You know, and uh, which I took with cocaine. You know, and. Uh, for some for some reason or another, I'm still around this sir. Don't know why, but you know here what we have is a police officer, a servant of the people. All right, who while on duty had been drinking, and everything that Michael said. That I'm sorry, man. That was your name, right, Michael? Yes, Mike. I, I am so sorry, man. I, I, I'm going through a bit of a brain fart here. Uh, that everything he said was absolutely factual, you know. Um, you know, who was coping with alcohol, you know, for whatever. Maybe he just liked to drink, you know. A, a drunk or an alcoholic does not need a reason to drink. They just do it. It's habitual, you know. And... You know, here's a guy in a city-owned vehicle with a firearm. Now, if I were to grab a bottle of whiskey and my shotgun and get in my truck and be drinking as I'm driving my truck with my shotgun, and run over a motorcycle, uh, a group of motorcycle riders, and two of them died. Oh, Do you idiot. think for one second that I would get any, any of this treatment that Officer Bassard is getting? Of course not. Absolutely not. I would be fried at the stake. At minimum, hey. I'd be looking at manslaughter charges. Vehicular manslaughter. Let me ask you this real quick, Jeff. Do you think that? He's been doing this several times. He just got caught, and, and then the fact that he got caught in Lawrence was the reason why this was brought to light. You think that that could have been the issue or could have been the case? I think, you know, I, I think that there should have been more done. This, there's no way this could have been a secret, you know? Somebody within his uh, squad knew that he was drinking on the job. Somebody always knows. Just like you remember, everybody's got a vice. And you remember them two cops got busted 
going into the Sunset Strip while on duty. The strip club. And they were getting sexual favors from the strippers there while on duty. That was their vibe. That's how they dealt with things. You know? And, you know, it, it is just that. It's, it, it's it, you know, there's no way nobody else knew. There has to be at least one other person that knew. Now, personally, I think Officer Broussard out of face, out of face the exact same long arm in law that a normal citizen would. I think he should have to pay for all his own legal representation. And I think that he ought to be introduced to the general population. Mm-mm. Of course, none of that's going to happen. But I will say, I do applaud this prosecutor and this judge up here in Fort Wayne. <clears throat> I applaud them for everything they've done, not caving in to the pressures of the of the police officers' union and, you know, within the city. You know, that judge is taking the bull by the horns and saying, no, forget this. We're handling it, you know? You know, I kind of, do you think that, do you kind of think that the, uh, that they, INPD has kind of washed their hands of this at this point? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, especially after this second accident that he had. Yeah. You know, you already, you are, or you are already a high profile person. Every camera is on you. You got away with murder. Until the trial, you're you. I wouldn't be able to walk scot free if I killed someone while drinking and driving. Lord, you see what I'm saying? Hey, you know he got a get out of jail free card on that. Yeah. And yeah, I think after this, absolutely. I mean, that would to throw an example out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. The equivalent would be. Yeah, you remember that one cop uh, that dur- during the during the whole Rodney King beating? I can't remember what his name was. That detective that ended up cracking the racial jokes and shit after the Rodney King beating, and he got yeah. fried at the stake during the trial. Uh-huh. That would be like him right in the middle of the trial, going out and say, you know, doing a speech during a Klan rally. You see what I'm saying? He's already a high-profile person, so he's going to bring more attention to himself, doing the exact same thing that got him all that profile. You know? I think IMPD should wash their hands off, you know? And, you know, hey, forget you, you know? But the difference is I think Bassard ought to be right there in general population. I think he ought to face the exact exact same people that he arrested and put in there, whether justfully yeah. or unjustfully. And, and like I said, when we originally covered this story, when me, me and you did that broadcast, right, I really feel that that the fact that he that, that he was above the process of the law is, is where he, he felt that he, he actually felt that he had a chance to walk away from the incident. Like the, the arrogance, just the arrogance they know speaks far. No, it it really speaks to his his uh, title. He feels the nine. 
See, I, I, I can't if they call it arrogance. Been, they have been bailing him out all along because he thought that he could I, just walk away. See, I, I can't. I got a problem calling it arrogance because I'm arrogant. Okay, that is that is beyond arrogant. That's almost narcissistic what he did. You know, and he absolutely like thought he was. Yeah, I don't Michael. think that he. Go ahead, Michael. I said, yeah, it's certainly quite audacious, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, I, I don't think that he thought that he was above the law. I think that he thought, I am the law. You see what I'm saying? And because I think, he is, I think that basically he's so pickled that he doesn't really give a shit. Yeah, that could very well be it, too. That's a very fair point. You know, I mean, I've I've had had true full-blown alcoholics and true full-blown drunks. And there's a difference between the two. A drunk is an alcoholic that has given up hope. You know? Mm. A a drunk is one step away from a wino. You know? (laughs) And... (laughs) Hey, hey, I, I had them in my family, man. I, I you know, I, I, uh, say, hell, I didn't crap out my liver when I was 10 years old. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, no. I'm trying to figure out no one came up front about it first, you know? Well, why, you know, David Bassard didn't have a partner, but I'm sure he hung out with guys, you know, from the force. Someone had to have known that he was drinking. Why did oh, somebody yeah. come out and there? They were probably egging know? him on, too. They were probably egging him on, you know, egging him to take down more drinks, more booze. You know, somebody had to know. Like, I just, I just you know, if them I, I just really think I'm with you, John. The more that, that I think about it, I believe that I, I believe that many people knew that this guy had an alcohol problem. He was an alcoholic, but they didn't take it seriously. They didn't think that it would lead to this uh, come to this, you know, uh, where he has fatally uh, well, he has fatally killed. Well, he's killed someone, and then he. Seriously injured like a couple other people. You know, I, I don't think that they realized that it was going to get to this point. And I knew this. I know that somebody knew that. You gonna tell me that they all didn't get together, go out drinking, and, and nobody saw how wasted he probably was. Like you're not gonna tell me that he he didn't hang out with his cronies, and nobody didn't notice that he had a problem. But see, like so many times, I think that. We see a problem, but we feel that hey, it's not me, so there's no reason for me to really rock the boat on it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that happens in every every career and in every walk of life. Yeah, right. Yeah, we got you back. Hello, I'm here. Okay. He's having problems with his phone. So he's he's showing that he's online, but can't hear. Uh, bad reception. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, it just it just I really think that, you know, I think someone knew that he had uh at the very least that there was a problem with his drinking. For him to even get to the point where he's that comfortable to where he could like actually um, be drunk yep. in a police car the, is the scary thing about those what I call professional alcoholics. The scariest thing about them is, even though at the legal limit of point oh eight, they point oh eight for them is nothing. It'd be like the equivalency of you and me having half of a drink and then going home and being totally fine. Point oh eight yeah. for them is nothing. You know. He could probably pass all the field sobriety tests and, you know, exhibit semi-normal behavior point of late. Or, then again, depending on his level of his background of intoxication, point of late may put him into the shakes. Yeah. Which is a scary thought. It just it's it's really I mean this whole situation is is, is definitely a wake up call. Yeah, it's a I tragedy think. for all the parties involved. Yeah. And it goes to show you that alcoholism has I mean it, it nobody's exempt from being affected by it. Right. You see you what know, I'm I know there was a point there was a point and, and I guess it's so weird that you know, you can really, it's very easy for anybody to fall into that trap. It really is. And you just hope that you, you wake up. You just pull yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, ooh. Hello? Yeah. 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 A lot of people are saying that there's nobody's exempt from that, like being affected by alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's a serious um, addiction. It is. And addiction's horrible, you know? I went through it. I've had loved ones that have gone through it. I got a friend of mine that's currently battling through a, a cocaine addiction. You know. Oh wow. And, and you know, a, a very dear friend of mine, and I, I, I told him, I said, dude, you, you know, you gotta leave them people behind. If you yeah. want to further in life, you gotta leave it all behind. You know. It ain't always going to work out, but, you know, at least give yourself a chance for it to work out, you know? Like his old lady now, she's she, she's a pill popper, you know? And so he's around addiction. But for an addict to sober up, the only way to be around another addict to help him sober up is to hit a meeting, not not to be around people that are still currently doing Right. So, what's the best way for you to deal with an addict? Like, like, how do you uh, deal with someone that you're close to that may be battling? 
What's that? I said, what's the best way, in your opinion, um, to deal with someone that's close to you? How, how, how do you deal with it? Well, I, I can only tell you how I get it, you know? Um, you know, I, I've, I've been clean from cocaine now for 17 years. You know, and the the thing is, is you know, I I I kept loyalty to my friends that were still doing, trying to help them. You know, but I didn't do it. But I have, I my friends were decent enough to know that I wasn't wanting to live that lifestyle no more. So if they were doing it, they would never have it around me. You know. Because I was trying to clean my act up. The the thing is, is you got to focus that energy into something that's more important. For example, for me, it was my ex getting pregnant. Once she got pregnant, that that was it for me. I, I you know, I promised myself none of my kids would ever see me in handcuffs. You know, and. Knock on wood, I've kept that promise to this day, you know? This is one of the things I wanted to really, you know, I really hope that we delve more into, especially with 3XR is addiction. Excuse me. Addiction. Excuse me. I think that's oh. something that a lot of people are dealing with, but you know, it, it's not really spoken on that much because I think it's, it's a lot of shame behind it, a lot of shame yeah, and pain behind it. And, and there is because you know, like in my case, for example, <coughs> uh, it literally it literally split my family in half. You know, where my sister, my mom, and my grandma were always backing me up, you know, even when I was in the wrong. My dad eventually came around, you know, and but I had to prove to him that I wasn't going to be like my brother who ended up dying from his his addiction, you know. So do you think enabling, like, um, enabling is a big part of people's failure in overcoming addiction? Oh, absolutely. Look, yeah, I got a friend of mine right now, a different friend, okay, <clears throat> who his worst enemies are his lo- his loved ones because they are enablers to him. You know, it, it, the guy comes from a long line of alcoholics, and he has taken it one step further with pain pills, you know. And, you know, he'll, he'll go to his mom's house and, He'll tell you, you know, he's my age, but he'll go visit his mom, and he'll be like, you know, Mom, I got this headache. Let me get some of your Percocets or what's up. You don't Mm. need Percocets for a headache, you know. Take a few ibuprofen, you know, but no, that's how bad his addiction goes. And his mother, because he's her only child, will give him whatever he wants. Hmm. You know, and I've already come to terms. All of us that are close to this guy have already come to terms with the fact that his rock bottom will be his death. 
You know? Mm-hmm. His rock bottom ain't going to be like mine. She's not going to get busted. And, Jr., do you think for the majority of people that, unfortunately, that's what the rock bottom is? Um, I, I, I honestly think it's on a case-by-case basis. Uh, yeah. I, I, and the reason I say that's this, because as an addict or as an alcoholic, which, you know, in my opinion, it's one of the things, okay? Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's... It's whatever you think it is, you know, and, you know, it's a lot of addicts, a lot of alcoholics have given up hope, and, you know, they don't realize that there are people out there that love them, you know. My family wasn't the closest family there was, but. You know, my mo- my mother and my grandmother and my sister went out of their way to show me, you know, hey, we still love you and this and that, you know. And, and all, I mean, not babying me, but, you know, still giving me freedom of life, but at the same token, yeah. making sure I wasn't going to have a relapse. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I I am forever indebted to them. You know, and because of that, that's how I am with my friends. You know, like my brother, the day, literally two days before my brother died, two days, my my oldest son's named after my brother. And uh, what happened, I get a call out of the blue. Now, it had been been 10 years since I heard from my brother, you know, and my brother calls me up and he says, JR, I said, what's up? He goes. Hey, it's Victor. I said, yeah, I don't know. What's going on, man? And he goes, can I come live with you? I said, brother, my door is always open to you, you know, always. You can show up here being on dire straits with not a dime to your name and only one set of clothes that you got on, and I'll give you anything in my house. I said, but I got to know this. And he goes, what's that? I said, what do I need to expect? Because as mm. an addict, you burn a lot of bridges. You piss a lot of people off. Right, and you don't, know, right. you don't know what baggage is coming towards you. Right, and my brother right. pissed off a lot of the wrong people. And he's oh. like, nothing, nothing. I just need to get away. And I said, that's fine. I said, bro, I don't care. You're my brother. You're blood. I'm yeah. always going to take you in no matter what. But I gotta know what I'm facing because I'll lay my life down for you. But I want no surprises. You know, if somebody's after you, tell me. I'll take care of it. But I want no surprises. You know. And two days later, the day he was supposed to be on the plane to move up to Indiana with us, they found him overdose dead on the beach. Oh, Lord. You know, I I think he was just saying his good. Because, see, the other side of the family, everybody turned their backs on him. Nobody would allow him to come to their homes. They were ashamed of him, you know. Me, my mother, and my sister told him, come on up. My mom bought him the plane ticket. I had an extra room at my place. I said, come on over. My house is your house. Anything in this house is yours. 
you know? And he was just, I think he knew death was coming to him, but that he was just looking for that family acceptance, you know, so he could die in peace. So so what you're saying is addiction not only eats away at you physically, but it can eat away at your relationship. It can, it can eat away at you mentally. Brother, it eats you away mentally, physically, and emotionally. I went, I went on a 28-day binge where I was awake for 28 days. And when I finally crashed, I crashed for three and a half days where I didn't even get up out of bed. Oh, wow. And I was so dehydrated that you could see the white flakes where sweat should have been all over my skin. Mm. All over my pores. Uh, how I made it out of there, it was through grace of God. Okay? But it's the only way I can explain it. Because the amount of cocaine I was doing during that time, most people would not survive. I could t- Here's a story for you. When I, when I, was, when I was over in Arizona, the, the area in Arizona where I was at, after the bars closed, parties would happen. People would break out the crystal meth, coke, ecstasy, you name it, it was there. Weed, you know, you name it, it was all there. Heroin, you know, and it would be a community pile. Whatever you, everyone just threw their stuff in there. Whatever you wanted to do, you did. You know? Oh, wow. And I remember this one day, it was me and my buddy Matt. And we're, we're there at one of these parties. And there was this big, big, big fat woman, you know? Ugh. And uh, she was sitting there wearing a muumuu and fuzzy slippers. Oh. And... I'm looking at my buddy Matt, and we're looking at the I think we lost JR. Yeah, it was getting good. Well, that's just a sample of what you're going to be getting um, on 3XR. Yeah. That's some good stuff, huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep, so that's one of the topics that we will be discussing. Hopefully we can get them back on so we can finish this story. But that's one of the topics we will be discussing. It's kind of a preview of what you'll be getting. Um, We will be in the upcoming weeks taping. We've already begun the taping process. We have a couple episodes completed already. And ready to go. That's already packaged and ready to go. Um, that's one of the shows that we plan on taping here, um, and um, hopefully in the next upcoming weeks about addiction because it is a huge problem, and you know it's it's it's, it's more prevalent than what you think. A lot of people are facing addictions, and I think that. Um, a lot of people, they, they may have the support, but they have the wrong type of support. Yeah, that's true. And when you're dealing with someone that has an addiction, you have to really 
walk that fine line of enabling them and supporting them. And if Jared gets back online, I'm going to have him explain that because that's that's something that I've noticed. Um, I've noticed, you know, um, people that have addictions, it's not they, that they don't have the support, but they, the people that are in their lives, they mean well, but they don't know how to support them without enabling them. And that's a fine line, I think. Yeah, it is. Because as a parent, you want nothing more than to see or even if it's not apparent, you want nothing more than to see your family or your loved ones to flourish and be happy and do everything you can to support them. But still, then again, it's a very thin line with enabling and supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, but this, this whole situation uh, with the sort brings up a lot of those questions or brings up a lot of those issues and uh, you know uh, I believe he does have it's obviously that he has plenty of support but it was a negative type of support around him that has led him to the position that he's in currently you know he had a lot of people covering up for him Um, that's, that's the thing with someone that has an addiction you know You'll have people around them that care about them. They want to see them get help, but they start covering up for that person because they feel that that, that's going to be the best way to support them. And sometimes, really, I know somebody now that's dealing with an addiction, and I think that um, the guilt behind that, I mean, it's all, I mean, because really, you think you're helping out that person in the future, they're gonna feel guilty about that because, you know, you know, you've done all this for them and really sometimes they may feel that okay, we got JR back. JR I have a quick question. I want you to finish that story that you were telling us. But we were just discussing is there a fine line between supporting someone and enabling someone? And what I mean by that is Oftentimes, a lot of addicts, they, they, it's not that they don't have that support, but they have the wrong type or negative support. Do you think that they're safe? Yeah, there absolutely is a fine line between the two, you know? The, the thing is, is that only people that have been through it can see it, you know? Yeah. Most people think that they're helping when they're actually enabling, you know. Like, for example, you know, let's let's take an alcoholic, for example. Someone that drinks vodka, a fifth of vodka or a fifth of whiskey a day, okay? Now, let's say they've gone through all their money, you know, and they go to a buddy's house, and the buddy's like, well, you know, I'm a little short on money. Here, have a beer. It'll help calm your nerves. Well, uh, that's an enabler. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or someone, another way to enable is to make up excuses for the person. You know? Where, oh, no, it's not your fault that you're doing this. I get it. You're doing it because of this or this or this. No, 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 no. It's all a choice. It is a choice. Yeah. 
the second one becomes dependent on that foreign substance, whether it's drugs or alcohol. It's the second that they have become an addict. You know? And, you know, people, most people don't realize it. Most people don't want to realize it. They don't want to deal with the shame. Oh, oh my God, how could I have an addict in my family? You know? Well, the fact is, most families do have an addict or a drunk. He ain't the dirty old man. He ain't the good social drinker. He's a drunk. You know, I got a brother-in-law that drinks freaking a case of beer a night before he goes to bed. Mm. You know? But you know what? What what is the profile of an addict? Because a lot of times we have this image in our minds of what an addict is, and really that that image is a stereotype. Because a lot of times you can have the white collar um, executive that be See what I'm saying? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, I there are stereotypical images. You know, like like your neighborhood crackhead. You know, just sitting there by the trash dumpster. You know, looking around for something of value. Hey man, can I get a couple? Yeah, can I get a couple of dollars for some rock? You know. But, like Tyrone you know, the Crackhead, Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is they come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and backgrounds of life. You know? They, they, I, I, I had, my uncle was a crackhead. You know? He was your stereotypical crackhead. I am a cocaine addict. I ain't your stereotypical cocaine addict. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it the, the more pressure, in all honesty, the more pressure that comes behind the job will decide a lot of times the drug that they're, that they're addicted to. You know? So it, add, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. I didn't mean oh, to interrupt. Well, like, like, for example, a young young person's drug, ecstasy. Mm-hmm. I did ecstasy in its liquid form. Which, if you do the pills, you'll get kidney stones and this and that. But in its liquid form, it is fantastic. I hate saying it, but it is. I mean, I was rubbing up and down against this pedestal with shag carpeting on it because it felt so good. <laughs> but, but you know, the the thing is, is, you know, it, now with a sober mind, with a clean mind, I look at my life, and I'm like, holy cow. I got to make up for everything, you know? And it's taken me 20 years to do. I've gained, I regained all of my family's acceptance, you know? But it took me 20 years to locate the last people that I hurt, you know? And as I, I, I made mention to all you guys about it, and you, you know the story behind it. And you know what? I cannot wait till July when I take that trip to go visit this family 
as they opened their homes and welcomed me back in with open arms. You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was when I spoke with them all for the first time, I spoke with them with a lot of humbleness and a lot of shame. You know? And all of them told me the same thing. Sweetheart, you don't have to explain anything. You don't have to, you know, apologize. We love you. We're glad that you're okay. That is true support. Mm-hmm. That is why I do what I do. That's why I believe in second chance. You know? Because well, I'm you, living there. Are you finally giving away the first couple souls we can take now? Can <laughs> you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. Yeah, because these are some topics that we take, and I don't want to give it give it away. Cause these, I'm telling you, the first couple shows that we've already done, we tackled yeah, this issue. And we, we're we're going to we'll be more. in a couple more shows this weekend, bro. Yep. I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited about that. And this is one of the shows I really want to do something on. Like I told people, when you got disconnected, this is just a taste of what, this is just a small taste, a sample of what you will be getting with 3XR. Yeah, but it, it, I do have a question, though. I do have a question. Do you yeah. think that the addiction is a symptom of something greater that the person is? Uh, at times it can be, you know. Uh, but but by no means should the addict ever make that the excuse why they did it, you know. If they truly want to seek recovery, that is. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, I could blame what I did on my military time. I could blame what I did on my job. I could blame what I did on my daddy didn't hug me enough, you know? And, and, uh, and, and by no means, I mean, that's not the truth, but I'm just saying, you have to get to the root cause of dealing with it. You can't look at the, first, you want to look at the, but you have to delve deeper into it in order to, you have to go back to the uh, origin of the problem, and I'm not meaning by that as an excuse, but I'm looking at, I mean, dealing with the origin of the problem that caused the addiction. I think the addiction is more of the system. I'm not about to can't go out of that, but I'm just saying you have to yeah. look, at, look, look at it from a microscopic point of view and you have to delve into that. What caused me to get to this point? And because if you don't go back to the root cause of that, you're going to find yourself right back at, at, at the point of addiction. But, but see, that that's the thing with addiction. Sometimes there is no root cause. Sometimes, it, you know, the person might have tried it for the first time just for curiosity's sake, you know? Just because they were at a party and it was being offered, you know? Sometimes see, it's just because they wanted the to thing is, But see, the thing is, there we go. Go back to the root cause. You didn't have a strong mind enough. You said it was there at the party. You didn't have the power, the willpower to say no, or you didn't value your life enough to where, where you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, where I see exactly what you're saying. You, you have know, I, when I, that, that first time I did it, at no point 
was I ready to deal with the demon that got unleashed? You know? Mm-hmm. At no point was I ready. I thought I was, but I wasn't. You know? Turns out I have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. And that can be taken many different ways, you know? But <laughs> it, it, oh, it, Lord. It, 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 it is just that, though, you know? I, I uh, And I struggled with it for many, many years. You know, many years. I, see, I I can't, I can't look. I did this, I did this math. Okay, now keep in mind, I've been sober 17 years from cocaine, right? In the last 10 years, I have blown 1.3 million dollars. Oh, it's how much I've made. Okay. Imagine, go back. If I were to calculate how much I've blown in the last. 20 years during the era of my addiction, that that number would make some people cry, you know? But let, let's, let's get into it. Let, let's get into it, though. How okay. were you able to fund that habit? Like, I mean, because really, you know, I mean, want to get into it. real. Let's, like, how do you do sure, sure. like, and, and, and it's not about trying to put nobody on but... I need people to realize, like, desperate means being desperate measures. So how are you able yeah. to fund that, that $250 habit a day? Not by whatever means necessary. Uh, I, I, I never sold. That is one thing I never did. But there were times when, you know, someone would give me a baggie to do them a favor, you know, and the favorite would be running, running automatic, automatic rifles from one end of the town to the other. Or, mm-hmm. you know, sneaking a couple of kilos, you know, through the border, you know. And government IDs get you a lot of access, you know. Yeah. And the, one of the things that would happen was this. At one of the clubs I used to go to, the top floor was a VIP area. And you'd see people out there literally with bricks, you know? And, and I'd show up, and they'd be like, hey, JR, here, try this, you know? And it'd be their new mix, and I'd hit it, you know? And that was that. And, and you know, they, if you want some, here, take some, take some. They cut me out some for a favor of dropping a brick off on the other side of the border to their contact. You know, it, you you did whatever you had to do to get whatever you needed, you know. Right. And you, the thing the thing with it all, I mean, again, I'm lucky to be able to talk about it. You know, uh, a lot of people don't get as deep as I was and walk out scot-free overcoming right. the addiction, let alone walking out with their lives. You know, and uh, I'm sitting here talking to you guys about it, and right now my mouth is dry because I can still remember what it tastes like. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I can smell it. If someone recently done it, I can smell it on them. And when I smell Mm. it on them, I start shaking. Oh, wow. You know, my body goes, reverts back to that state of mind. And not not to where, you know, I got enough common sense not to do it. But and I did. Oh, so you said when you, when you say that it, you re, it reverts back to that 
do you mean it from a point of view of where it, it makes you cringe or that you that you crave that substance? No, 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 not not crave it. I, I haven't craved it in a long time. But it, it, it it's almost like uh it, it's almost like a reaction. Like like um you know, my body it, it, my mind sends out that feeling that I had when I was on it. Okay. I'm not yeah. craving the substance, I just go back to that state of mind. You know? Okay. And you know, the 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 thing is is like I said, a lot of people don't walk away from this and don't live to tell about it. You know? And it but but you know, there is hope out there. You know? And unlike when I was doing it, when all you had was AA and the NA, which are fantastic programs. I'm not bashing on them one bit. Now you got even more, a lot of churches are getting involved in rehab programs, you know, and it's a lot more public and a lot more mainstream to help the addict deal with his addiction, you know. And it's a lot more accepted to where when I when I was hooked on it, it was a taboo topic. You know, everybody knows somebody who's addicted. You know, and yeah, man, it it, it I mean it, it's horrible to go through. There, about four years ago, me and my wife got in a huge fight, a brutal, brutal fight, wow. and she left. And it was the first time in 13 years back then that I, I, I almost had a relapse. But I had enough sense to where it's the closest I ever came to it. Because I, I just wanted to numb the pain, you know. And there was only one way I knew how. And I called a friend of mine, a real close friend of mine. And she's a, a drug counselor. You know, and I told her, I said, Debbie, I need you now, and God bless her, you know. She stayed on the phone with me. She's like, where are you at now? I told her about the fight and what I wanted to do and this and that. I, just, I didn't care. I wanted to throw it all away, you know. And uh, she's like, are you going to go to a meeting? And I said, yeah, but the meeting isn't for six hours. I, I, I can't do this for six hours. I, I, I can't. I'm losing it. And Debbie says to me, she goes, don't worry, sweetie, where are you at? And I said, I've locked myself in my bedroom. I'm just laying here. I, I, I need to vent because I'm losing it, you know? And she stayed on the phone with me till I got to the meeting. She stayed on the phone with me all six hours of it, bro. You know? And like I said, I got some fantastic friends that understand and are there if I ever need them. And that's exactly why I'm there for my friends if they ever need. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can't buy loyal. Yeah. I'm still here. I just had to sw- try to swallow something. <laughs> yeah. 
I really, hey, I guess, guess we didn't have really um, enough time to get into the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, I don't know if we should go ahead and still do that. I mean, I think we're just recording now. I don't think it's live, but it's still recording. Uh, how much time do we got? How much time? Um, yes. I have a whole nother hour. Oh, okay. But it's just, it's just not live. But I guess we can talk about that real quick, and then we can get off here. Um, I'm here. Okay, give me a second. Let me pull the story up. Um. Okay. Potential. This this article comes from uh, U.S. News on NBCNews.com. Um, the article is entitled uh, it was "Updated 53 Minutes Ago." Um, potential Trayvon Martin case jurors get a look at Ben George Zimmerman, and it looks like he has gained a lot of weight. Like, so three uh, fifths. I'm gonna get that. All right. This article was written by Aaron McClam and Tracy Connor um, at NBC News. Potential jurors in the George Zimmerman trial were questioned Monday about what they knew about the death of Trayvon Martin and whether they could keep an open mind about the case. The first four jurors to be grilled had at least a passing knowledge of the deadly confrontation in Stanford, Florida, on February 26, 2012. So they had not immersed themselves in media coverage. Uh, quote, there was fault on both sides as far as I can see. It, it was two people being in the wrong place at the wrong time and two people instigating something that probably could have been avoided, unquote, said a male prospective juror, who had added that he could have still be impartial until evidence was presented. Zimmerman, 29 years old, admits that he shot Trayvon Martin, 17 years old, but says that it was in self-defense after the teenager attacked him. He was he pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder. Jury selection continues Tuesday with questioning of more potential jurors. Both sides can exercise challenges and have potential jurors excluded. Challenges for a cause must be a valid reason re- attached, such as having an intractable opinion about the case. In addition, the prosecution and the defense get each get six perimetory challenges in which a juror can be dismissed for no stated reason. The first day of jury selection begins with began with the potential 100, 100 potential jurors being introduced by and introduced to Zimmerman before they filled out questionnaires which have not been made public. The process is expected to last roughly two weeks. Those being questions were referred to only by number. Judge Deborah Nelson declined to sequester the jury pool but hasn't yet ruled whether the seated jury will be isolated once the trial begins. Speaking to reporters in the overflow room, Martin's father said that he was relieved that the trial was beginning and asked for prayers for his son, for his son and his and family. Quote, we ask that the community continue to stay peaceful as we place our faith, faith in the justice system, said the father of Tracy Martin. 
um, uh, Zimmerman's brother, Robert Zimmerman, told reports that he's worried about the ability to find a jury that will give the former neighborhood watch volunteer a fair shake, especially since the judge decided against a private selection process. But he said the opportunity for jurors to meet George face-to-face could help. Quote, I think it is important for jurors to get to know George as a real person, said Robert. He is just, he's not just whatever images people flash across the screen or whatever narrative people write about. He is a sensitive person. He's generous. He is a likable, he is li- very likable if you actually get to meet him. And I think it will, it will do, it will do. It's the right thing to do. George Zimmerman was in the courtroom as a potential as potential jurors were quizzed. His wife, Shelley, also attended the session. She faces perjury charges in a separate case after being arrested last summer for allegedly misrepresenting the couple's financial picture during an April 2012 bond hearing. She has not pleaded guilty. Uh, so that was it for that. Let me go back online. Okay, Jar I had to... Uh, Mute you for a minute about the noise. So, what do you think about the art I just created? Do you think uh, that that is it's important for um, this process to be painstakingly carried out so that we won't I think we lost. I think I have a problem with this jury selection thing because I don't see where the jury needs to get to know Mr. Zimmerman. You know, why do they need to get to know him? Their 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 purpose is to weigh the evidence. Exactly. Their job is to weigh the evidence and the facts and execute a judicial opinion. It's not to get to know him. Yeah. I say you are not you're not really getting to know get getting a chance to know Trayvon Martin because he's dead. But to me, it's not about that. Like you said, we're there to execute justice. We right. need to know whether you did it or you not did it. We're not there, like you said. We're not trying to get some artist profile or get some type of have sit down and have tea and crumpets and um, or sit around a nice cup of mocha. mocha you know what I'm saying? And just right. sit down and talk. It's an, yeah, this is not happy hour. This is not social hour. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I understand there in proceedings there are things such as character witnesses, but you know that's as it would pertain to the facts of the case and things of that nature. It has nothing to do with getting to know him. It's not you know <laughs> they're not all going out for happy hour. <laughs> Exactly. I think that's I think that's very irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I don't know. It's it's just one of those things. Um, but that kind of shows too that if the defense attorney is trying to do that, then the defense attorney knows that uh, he's screwed. <laughs> yeah. They're grasping straws. 
Yep. And I, I you know, and but in high profile cases, that's what a lot of defense attorneys try to do in high profile cases because, you know, in those high profile cases like that, they want to paint their defendant as the salt of the earth, greatest person you ever meet and you know, they want to paint them in this picture because, and that's really not even just big high profile cases. It goes for that way in a lot of things, a lot of psychological warfare on the jury. Yeah. I mean, it, it, coming from that point of view, it makes sense. I mean, you know, why they would try to do that, but I don't know. Because, you know, defense attorneys understand that jurors are human. And just exactly. like marketing marketing with sex appeal may get you to buy another, you know, a product out there, you know, painting your person in a, oh, he's so nice he couldn't do something like that. He would have had to have had a really good reason. They know that that psychological warfare does help win cases. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I should put it that way. Yeah, it should be pretty interesting as we follow this case and see what you know what happens. And um, like you said, like since this is a high profile case, I guess they really have to be very careful. And um, like you know, it has to be a it's, it, it, it's a very tedious process. You know, you don't want you know you have to be very um, careful in in everything that you do, every detail. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, to get a fair and impartial jury is, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, because you know jury people are people. You know, it's hard to get a good, fair, impartial jury. Right, right. Yeah. Well, we will definitely get more into this um, case as it develops. Um. But I think as of now, we're going to probably um, call it a night. All right. All right. Um, there anything, I know you were, and I wish I would have gotten to this, but we're going to probably get into this the next broadcast. Um, I know you're going to be doing some changes possibly to um, Sunrise Humanity. Yeah, and it's going to probably not be something that's going to be evident until the winter months because between now and then, the changes that I'm thinking about implementing are going to take a lot of planning <laughs> and a lot of redrawing. So, Have you already started the process? I guess I've started asking around to other people in the metaphysical community getting their opinions because, you know, some of it, I have an idea of the direction, but when I start talking around to them, you know, I get other ideas too, and my vision for it kind of changes and takes a different shape, so to speak. So I guess I'm doing my early stages of brainstorming, so to speak, but... Probably by the winter time, we'll start to see some other changes in things. 
but it's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> I hear you. But we're going to be looking forward to that. And, and is it going to be like something that, that makes it more broad? Well, uh, presently oh, I am really focused on uh, the biggest driving force in my website has been towards Reiki education and, uh, you know, metaphysical like healing modalities, but primarily uh, my Reiki practitioners, for lack of a better term, my Reiki practice. Uh, in the education field with it and how that has a potential to affect people and the elements and things that go on within that. But I'm thinking about, yeah, making it more broad, still keeping the Reiki stuff there and still keeping that, but at the same time expanding into other maybe lesser-known things that maybe a lot of other people don't know that I'm particularly well-versed at or a professional expert on. So uh, it's a little bit nerve-wracking to see, you know, step foot out into that realm because, you know, it's like I know it, but, you know, figuring out how to adequately and appropriately present that material is what's going to be the biggest issue of redesigning. So, yeah, it's a process. It's going to take a little bit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so we got a lot, both of us, there's a lot of things that we have coming up, a lot of um, projects I'm working on right now. We got a couple good interviews that will be released in the next couple of weeks, Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, But like I said, until then, check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCOFW or um, join our group page under the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers on Facebook and where you can um, stay informed on uh, upcoming broadcasts, uh, new, new video releases, um, or other just other news in general. Um, or you can just leave your comments or whatever you want to do. Like, um, So join us on Facebook and check out our weekly podcast here on blogtalkradio.com slash UCOFW. Um, and with that being said, I just wanted to wish everybody a good evening, and we will be back soon. Good night.